0: Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology Podcast on all things ophthalmology brought to you by Mayo Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Andrea Tooley.
1: And I'm Dr. Eric Bothan. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest in ophthalmology, medicine, and more.
0: In today's episode, I have the opportunity to interview my co-host, Dr. Eric Bothan. I'm so excited for all of our listeners to hear more from Dr. Bothan about his expertise with managing pediatric cataracts and all of the complexities that go along with that. Dr. Eric Bothan is a professor of ophthalmology here at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Bothan's main areas of clinical research are pediatric cataract and pediatric and adult strabismus. Dr. Bothin serves as chair of quality and collaborates on various quality projects with the ophthalmology department at Mayo Clinic. He has received numerous clinical care and research awards, and I'm thrilled to sit down with him today. Welcome to my co-host and our guest today, Dr. Eric Bothin.
1: Yeah, by all means, this is fun again.
0: Yeah, sure. I'm so excited for just the two of us to chat, for our listeners to kind of learn more about your clinical expertise, specifically pediatric cataracts we're chatting today. So I know we've talked about pediatric cataract in the past, but today let's talk some more about that kind of practical clinical aspect, some management pearls, some surgical pearls and tips for our listeners, even for the comprehensive ophthalmologist. I think I'll have you start, just kind of set the stage for us. Why are some cataracts done by a comprehensive ophthalmologist versus some that might need to be done by a subspecialty trained pediatric ophthalmologist? Yeah,
1: I greatly appreciate the opportunity to share and and, uh, discuss in this format with you. Pediatric cataracts, I think in in the last 20, 30 years, the care has continued to be refined by research and outcome based evaluations and with a growing number of subspecialists throughout ophthalmology, more and more of that care gets shifted to people that have areas of expertise that are particularly refined and in, in this case in pediatric cataract. Comprehensive ophthalmologists, however, still do a fair number of cases and manage children effectively, especially in practices where they maybe are more remote and they don't have access to subspecialty care or have been doing it for quite some time. I look at pediatric cataracts and think the first year or two of life scare people because of how complex the eyes are or can be and the decisions and the ripple effects throughout the child's life. The degree of amblyopia and and refractive management is just harder. So usually, comprehensive ophthalmologists stay away from that group. Then you get into this sort of two to six, and even that, there's a lot of decision-making that people, unless you're doing a fair number of pediatric cataracts, often don't do. Once you get into school age and above, more and more it could be approached by a comprehensive ophthalmologists, maybe in a 12-year-old having a cataract, or a cornea specialist, or a pediatric ophthalmologist. So I thought today it would be fun as we shared ideas just to talk through some of the tips for people that don't do it regularly, but are in a position that they feel comfortable approaching pediatric cataracts. So most of this discussion, let's just aim for the school-age child, whether it's a 7-year-old or a 17-year-old.
0: Right. I, that's such a good point that you make that there's a difference depending on the age and you can kind of stratify these mm-hmm. pediatric cataracts into different grades kind of depending on the age. That's very helpful to think about. So if we just kind of start with a really broad scope and question. First of all, if you're a comprehensive ophthalmologist seeing a pediatric cataract, does every cataract in a child actually need to be removed? First question. Great
1: question. question. And much like in adults where cataracts slowly develop due to age and can be monitored for long segments of life without interruption of surgical care. In a pediatric cataract, it can be the same way. Children can be struck by a baseball and have a small cataract or partial cataract, or there are developmental anomalies that can be there enough to say there's a cataract there, but not enough to degrade the vision enough to intervene. Taking a lens out of a child and changing their refractive status, leaving them unable to accommodate and needing bifocals is a meaningful impact. And so I think a child that has a 20-30 cataract, I would probably leave it alone. Certainly some of those can be in the setting of amblyopia and we can't hope that 2020 might be there. But even when some of these children that are borderline visual situations can be monitored and either with refractive correction or even in a little bit of patching and you might get the vision to a level that's stable. And certainly we're talking about children that are a little older today, and usually there's a dependable vision measurement that can be done. The answer is no. I mean, certainly like adults, we're going to be evaluating the eye and making sure that the benefits of surgery outweigh the risks. Okay.
0: Okay. I mean, that's very helpful to know. We don't have to take out every cataract. That's surprising to me, really. So say you have decided, you have a school-aged child with a cataract, you've decided it does need to come out. What kind of surgical tips do you have for, say, the comprehensivist or somebody who doesn't do a lot of Pete's cataracts? Mm. What do you need to think about surgically when you're approaching that lensectomy?
1: Yeah, first and foremost, you need to make sure you're in a setting where anesthesia is appropriately prepared and equipped to do the evaluations. Adult cataracts care, usually in outpatient surgery centers where it's very well done, efficient care, but not necessarily used to being a setup where a child's being sedated, which typically children need a certain level of sedation or general anesthesia, and then the equipment in the OR to, to do appropriate assessments, the exam under anesthesia, Think of that moment before a cataract as the final verification that needs to be done. And there's so much to a child's exam that's limited in the clinic that I always talk to families that the exam under anesthesia immediately prior to the cataract surgery is sort of the last hurdle or, or gate before cataract, the decision for a cataract takes place. Then you have a child under anesthesia and you're going to do the surgery. Mm-hmm. What makes them different? One aspect, when children are asleep and have varying levels of anesthesia, you can do paralysis, but you don't need it as long as you put a traction stitch, usually under the rectus, because the bell's reflex. There's nothing more frustrating than finishing a case and the child's starting to get light and the eyes rolling. People that do meaningful amounts of surgery under general anesthesia lean towards traction stitches, so consider that. The wound can be clear cornea in most of these age groups that we're talking about, school-age kids. Sometimes we, in a very combative child, opening up the conjunctival superiorly and making a scleral or a partial tunnel allows you to suture that with nylon or with a permanent stitch and then bury it under the conj again. And it's not only a comfortable wound, but it's a safer wound. So some children, especially with developmental abnormalities or neurological impairment, we can't trust them to cooperate with the post-operative window of don't rub your eye don't be disruptive and that's one setting I would change the wound. Other tips you know once you're engaging into the case itself the capsule oftentimes tears quite normally in a teenager or older elementary school child but always be careful and think about whether it wants to run out more which is what gets it so tricky in younger kids. Removing the lens, oftentimes we think about removing the cortex first, and then the nucleus. Where in adults, the nucleus is the difficult portion, and then you come back at the end and clean up cortex. In a child, the nucleus is usually going to aspirate fairly quickly, and so the nucleus keeps open the capsule or bag volume, and you go around under the edges of your leaflet of the anterior capsule, and clean out the cortex first, and then you remove the nucleus. Putting the lens in is pretty similar to what you do in adults. I guess the only other scenario tip-wise is think about whether your child's going to be able to sit through a YAG later. Mm -hmm. And if you realize you're not going to be able to open up a capsule or an opacity postoperatively, then use whatever technique you use to, during the case, go around the lens or behind the lens and allow that to happen at the initial surgery so it they'll have a reduced risk of postoperative visual access of pacification issues later.
0: Is that pretty inevitable? Everybody's going to get a... Yeah, but it, it,
1: um, it is. It can be f- to a pretty mild degree and, okay. and can go on, though, for years or decades with minimal impact or no impact. Sometimes you look at these bags and wonder, I think I need to yag this thing. And yet the child still sees beautifully. Even though in children it's more universal, the older they get, the less it happens. With trauma, it's more. So there are settings where you lean towards opening up the capsule during your initial surgery more commonly, but in a child that's of the age group we're talking about, a seven, eight, 10-year-old that you know is going to be an easy YAG candidate, leave it alone
0: leave it alone I like it well that's a perfect segue you mentioned trauma because I wanted to ask you about traumatic cataracts because Mm -hmm. I think in kids in this slightly older age group that would be a really common cause of cataract in these kids and is there anything surgically you need to do differently for a traumatic cataract or what kind of thought process goes into that
1: great question yeah there is a surprising number of our cataracts that are caused by traumatic injuries and blunt trauma or sharp trauma for that matter the biggest thing is making sure the eyes quiet and over the original injury. So often, whether it's an open globe injury or a closed globe injury, there's this sense of wanting to quickly rehabilitate the eye. And as in other examples in ruptured globe situations, the first and primary primary goal is letting the eye shell recover, Mm -hmm. whether it's a corneal laceration or a scleral component. And then with that, making sure that the posterior segment's okay. But provided that all happens, there isn't a need to race in and do a cataract early. Some of these eyes can be inflamed for quite a while. I mean, just you think of a, a controlled injury like a surgical interocular surgery can take weeks and weeks of pred forte to calm them down. And similarly, after a globe trauma, especially a ruptured globe, where you have cortical involvement and a cataract associated with that, it can be months. And so it's there's reasons to calm the eye down to make this surgery easier for a cataract. And it's unlikely that a window of a few months in a even a six-year-old is going to impact amblyopia. At that point, their vision's developed. You can take your time and let the eye heal and then do appropriate reconstruction. You know, so what would that mean early on? Plenty of pred forte, maybe even um, cycloplegia for the first month or six weeks, and maybe wait two months before you do the cataract. In traumatic situations where there has been a rupture or the capsules open, they can be very inflamed, and so hit them hard with steroids early and cycloplegia. In children after rupture globe injuries, the degree of cortical and exposure and inflammation is more, and so I commonly, in addition to reg- aggressive topical, I'll use oral steroids for a while. And some of these eyes that come in day four looking very inflamed calm down so quickly. And their exams get easier, and you can just have that confidence at stone. The other thing to remember is a ca- the capsule is so friable. We remember from, even if you don't do cataract surgery regularly, depending on your specialty, those, you remember, resident stresses over a rent in the capsule or bag being very stressful and being delicate and, and at risk of extension. But if you have an acute injury, even if the capsules have been violated, and you let that capsule sit for a month or two, you go in later and you have a fibrotic, tough capsule to work with, and you can usually open it up, whether with a cutter or scissors, do your lens work, and then you use that tough capsule that's not so friable to secure your eye well, commonly with eye well capture. So my tips for traumatic cataracts would be make sure they're quiet ahead of time, and then approach them with this reconstructive work that most of us are, have experience with in managing the iris in managing the lens itself and then securely putting in an IOL.
0: Okay, and then with IOL goals, when we're thinking about our refractive target, do you always want to aim for these kids being ortho? What what do you think about when you try to make those decisions?
1: As I commented in the beginning how the older the child gets, the easier the management is, and refraction certainly is a big one. These eyes are growing. Right. And you're having discussions with family about what the aims are in light of the family's refractive status, genetic risks, in light of the other eye. Sometimes we're dealing with a, a meaningful refractive error in the other eye. The good news is most of these children that are in school through most of elementary school or beyond have fairly, relatively mild shifts as their eye axial length is growing. In, uh, between age 10 and 20, it might change a diopter having that happen as long as the other eye in a traumatic case as an example, or even bilateral, you might like a little aniso difference there, a little monovision set up for later in life. So aiming for plano or close to it, mild hyperopia in school-age children is is reasonable, and that will be refined based on your judgment over what your goals are, what the other eye is, and kind of consent with the family.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Lots to think about there though. Yeah, And then I think that, Of course, surgery is challenging. You've given us a ton of great surgical tips, which is wonderful. But a lot of the challenge is going to be post-op and managing these kids in clinic and dealing with everything that comes after surgery. So give us some tips. How do you manage these patients after surgery? And what do you think about in terms of their clinical care?
1: These children are generally easier than the sub six year olds that are squirrely and don't want to open their eyes. But even there are a lot of children that seem more mature ahead of time than you think, and then you do an intervention on them and they become difficult to evaluate. The next day, just like other types of surgery, we want to make sure that the surgical care isn't complicated by an infection or undue inflammation. And so getting an evaluation can be hard. Use Preparicane I mean, when the, sh- the patch comes off the next day, put a drop of Preparicane in to help that surface irritation. Certainly beyond that, it would be important to get the minimum that you need to rule that out and then not push the kid too hard. So getting a red reflex exam, getting some sort of light lit view of the anterior segment to make sure it's formed is minimally depend- you know, important. Beyond that, if you can get a slit lamp exam, sometimes it's a bonus, but the older the children usually allow that, and certainly allow that added sense of joy when when their vision is in remarkably better in the early post-operative period and then you're going to usually hold off on a refractionary. Pediatric astigmatism is something that is remarkably merciful on us. If we leave astigmatism in a, an adult cataract, it'll stay there, and we're dealing with it. In a child, it oftentimes, even a teenager, will melt away. And so having, if you need to close a wound tightly, and you have six diopters of Sill the next day in a six-year-old, it's okay. And it usually goes away by about two months, at most three months. We don't usually chase after Stitch, you know, cutting and removal because it oftentimes will go back to pre-op keratometry findings and astigmatism. So be patient with glasses. All the typical recovery care tips that we have for adults, and then if there's if you can't get an exam, you know, rarely sedate a child again or do something if it's just difficult. In the meantime, especially in trauma cases, we have to watch for the other complications in retinal detachment and pressure issues that you normally would.
0: Sure. But kids are amazing, right? Just the way they heal. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think that besides just managing in clinic, there's probably a lot of long-term discussions that you have with family about glasses and patching and what we're thinking about long-term. How do you have those types of conversations?
1: Yeah, those certainly start ahead of time. Yeah. The good news here is the older the child, likewise, the less patching care. It's usually children that are being operated on in the school age years don't have meaningful amblyopia. It provides patience in terms of our timeliness of care, even in refractive correction. But there are times you do, and so patching management is often a few hours a day. It's seeing if you can refine things or improve things in some kids. Glasses are like adults who are putting them in bifocals. So that's a discussion with families. Historically, we did a lot more flat-top bifocals, but more and more you're doing a blended or a progressive type. And certainly eyes with uh, an intraocular lens in place. There's protective from UV light exposure, the eye heals up, and we usually don't need added protection in some way. So they get more and more routine as they grow and heal, and you get to see your impact and appreciate how long-lasting this result will be. fakes are a little different. You know, Some eyes just you won't be able to put a lens in, even in a tra- after a traumatic situation. And then you're dealing with typically contact lens care. And if that's not working in a child is secondary lenses, and we've gotten a lot better with those approaches over time, Contact lenses can be work beautifully in children, even like we're used to in myopes. Doing it for a hyperopic aphake is a reasonable thing, and they have extended wear options, and management is fairly routine. Uh, in that setting, you're doing a contact lens on the surface, and glasses typically over the top. We can't forget protection in the glasses, especially if their vision's asymmetric for long-term risk. But it's a, a particular joy to see these kids grow up and have vision that, is going to be complemented long term.
0: This might be a ignorant question, so forgive me. But is there any discussion about using multifocal lenses or some of these newer lenses in kids to kind of obviate the premium need for bifocals? Options. Yeah.
1: There's been a bigger push towards using astigmatic correction because sure. astigmatism in kids and in premium lenses that regard is are more stable. So, if you wanted to tackle a higher amount of sill. It's probably reasonable to do in a school age kid or beyond. Because the eye's changing in axial length, multifocals have had limited entry because you just don't have dependability that either of your distance or near is going to be quite what you wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I've put them in. I've had success. Um, the youngest age I've thought about it is 13, and um, I think it was 14 is the at least the youngest age I put a multifocal in. It's reasonable. But yet still, um, premium lenses in regards to multifocal is atypical in most pediatric practices.
0: Got it. That makes sense. And then also, you mentioned using glasses not only for refractive correction, but for protection mm-hmm. long-term. So what do you tell these kids in terms of just protecting their eye? Do they have to alter their activities if they've had cataract surgery, or does it really change their lives in terms yeah. of that?
1: Short-term, definitely. And I mean, no fied aggressive behaviors for about a month. Uh, the first two weeks, I'm, I recommend and shielding and then adjusting behavior for a month. Beyond that, no. We let them, in most cases, get back to life. There are certainly cataracts or lens issues in syndromes or conditions that have other associated risks like Marfan or other conditions that would have retinal detachment risks. But just the cataract itself, and especially with an IOL in place, they're getting back to life and enjoying uh, visual functioning at a high level.
0: Really rewarding kind of aspect of what you do, and it's good to hear that there's lots of great options for these kids who are a little bit older. Might not be quite as complicated as the younger ones, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, and it's an accessible thing for a comprehensivist to treat mm-hmm. successfully. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for yeah, chatting been, with us. It's
1: always fun to chat and I children.
0: Great. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. You can find all episodes of the Mayo Clinic Ophthalmology podcast on our website.
1: Thank you for listening, and we definitely look forward to sharing more next week.